As we registered our sons to play upward basketball at our church, there was one question lingering at the end of the form. The question read, would you be willing to coach your child's team? It should have just included a checkbox for, do you want to be a glutton for punishment? I realized that I had yet to coach my boys on a sports team, and the opportunities for such an assignment were dwindling through the years. I said I would be willing if they needed help, and not so surprisingly, I was assigned to the job. As I informed the boys who their coach would be that season, I couldn't tell what their surprise expressions were communicating to me. At the end of the season, I had some onlookers express how much our team had improved through the year. I had many people comment about the specific development of my sons during the time. And as I evaluated my personal skills as a player and a coach, I realized it wasn't due to my athletic prowess or genius strategies. When I realized they had made such a change, I acknowledged that it was in part due to an intentional father who could spend time with them beyond practice. For all the role models I want my children to have, they taught me concerning the nature of my pivotal place as a role model. Beyond anyone else, they needed their dad. Are you wanting to make an impact on your children? It's time to go the second mile in your parenting. Hey, this is Travis Agnew with the Second Mile Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us, which is on the uh, 13th episode of this podcast where we seek to live out the words of Jesus who said, if someone asks you to go one mile, go the second mile as well. Don't do just the bare minimum in following Jesus, but go in and go all out. And so today I want us to really look at this specific topic and the role model that your child desperately needs. And and just as I was mentioning in that opening illustration, that as, as we think through, if you're a parent or uh, you have children that you were somewhat associated with or grandparent or role model, you name it, that so oftentimes uh, we are always looking for that expert, that person that is uh, the person that we could look up to, that our children could look up to, who is the expert that we can put in our child's life. And what I realized that with my boys, while I was not the uh, expert basketball player or the knowledgeable or most experienced coach, there was something significant about I knew uh, how far that I could push those two boys, especially out of the nine guys on my team, there were too specific that I knew uh, very, very closely that I knew what, where I could push and, and where I could encourage and, and what would work and what would not work. And also that as soon as that practice time was over, those 60 minutes that we would get once a week, there were things that we could talk about on the car ride home. There were things that we could work at in the driveway. And just really the intentionality that, that showed there's something different when you expect something of someone a little bit more than just a few minutes a week. And as that relates to basketball, let me tell you something. Else, it really relates to uh, spiritual matters. Uh, there are so many wonderful blessings that you might have in being involved in a local church. I pray that your family is involved in a local church, and you might have the best children's ministry or the best student pastor that this world could, has ever seen. But in reality, there might just be around that person one hour a week, maybe two hours a week if you're really, really committed. And even that, you're not there every week. In fact, it seems like the averages that I hear these days is that the average child, if they go to church or somewhere around the church for 40 hours a year, not 40 hours a week, of course, not even 40 hours a month, but 40 hours a year. Uh, Some of the best church members where it used to be that you were in uh, church four out of four Sundays, now it's more like two out of four Sundays. Travel ball takes us away. Vacations take us away. Other responsibilities take us away. And it seems like what's happening is is that um, church attendance and involvement is, is at a lower level than what it's been in years for many people. 
And, and even with that, if you were on the high end of those statistics, if you were expecting some type of uh, staff member at your church or some program at your church to make your child into a spiritually responsible, uh, mature follower of Jesus Christ who goes the second mile as well, let me just tell you, it's not going to happen that way. You have to have more intentionality than just one hour a week. And so in the same way that I learned that for my, my, my boys, that they needed a coach that would come alongside them and, and do more than just be with them one hour a week, that ultimately they grew so much because of the intentionality of a dad who was present. And I want to tell, especially for those that would be listening to this podcast, that the most incredible spiritual mentor, the most important pivotal role model, the role model that your child desperately needs is you. It's not your pastor. It's not the student pastor. It's not that that teacher that's of a small group or whatever. The most important role model that your child desperately needs is you. And so are you doing what you can to go the, the second mile in your parenting? The first mile of parenting is you're talking about things of the Lord. You're bringing them to church. That's great. That's first mile stuff. But today I want to talk to you about the second mile stuff of when you really begin to dig in and to develop your children spiritually on your own initiative and through your own efforts. So let's look at what the problem is. Honestly, um, as a pastor and as a father myself, I realize that I want as many hands on deck as possible. Listen, our culture is against our, our children, our family, and they are trying to tear apart a biblical faith away from uh, the youngest people as well as the oldest people that are represented in your home. That's just fact. And so for any parent that is wanting to say, I want my children to be spiritually mature, I would encourage you that you prioritize placing your children in the most spiritually nurturing environment as are available. So are you involved in a local church that makes much of Jesus? Are you involved in a local church that is a um, gospel-proclaiming, Bible-believing, disciple-making, um, mission-oriented church? Like, Is that where you are? And I'm going to encourage you that you need to prioritize placing your children in those spiritually nurturing environments as are available. So yes, find a church that prioritizes Jesus and prioritizes discipleship, and you lock arms, and you do more than just attend occasionally. You see that you don't attend the church, but that you are the church and you get involved. But with all the spiritually nurturing environments that you may get your children into, it may be vacation Bible school, it may be Sunday school, it may be a youth group, it may be church camp, you name it. Out of all those spiritually nurturing environments, which they're all great, they're all important, they're all very helpful. Let me tell you something that may seem surprising to you, but the most critical spiritual environment is the one in which you live. It's not the one that you uh, visit every so often. It's not the one that you're in one hour a week. The most critical spiritual environment is the one in which you live. If the uh, top tier of our church attenders, that those kids are in church about 40 hours a year, if that's the, the top level of it, well, just let me tell you something. Your child's probably going to be in your home more than 40 hours this very week. And so obviously, if you just look at the time that you have available, then you've got to step back and look and say, look, we have more an opportunity uh, and more time and investment and resources, honestly, to be able to invest into our children than just someone who sees them maybe one hour a week. And so with that, that's why that God has called parents to be the primary evangelist and disciple makers of their children. Now, it doesn't mean that you're the only evangelist and disciple maker, but you are the primary evangelist and disciple maker. Throughout the pages of scripture, it teaches that God has commanded parents to do this work of telling one generation behind them the works of the Lord, to bring them up in the nurture and instruction of the Lord. Like This is obvious. And so while there's secondary evangelists and disciple makers, like pastors, 
leaders, like friends, like role models, like Sunday school teachers, like group leaders, you name it. While there are those other evangelists and other disciple makers, parents, you are called to be the primary evangelist. You are called to be the primary disciple maker. And so with that, if you think about that the home is the most critical spiritual environment that you live and that you are called to be the primary evangelist and the primary disciple maker, you have to realize this. Do as I say and not as I do will not work in discipleship. It just won't happen. So if, if you think about it in that way, do as I say and not as I do, it will not work in discipleship. So you have to do more than, well, you need to go uh, and, and listen to the youth pastor talk about purity uh, tonight because that's important. No, it's got to be more that it's, it's actually involved in your life. It's something that you're doing. It's one thing for you to send your child to church for one hour a week and expect the youth pastor to fix all of your problems. If that they come back and realize that all week long, they're getting a different message. They're hearing a different sermon. And you may say, well, we don't have any preachers in our house. I beg to differ. Every single parent is preaching some sermon to their kids. They're telling them what is the most important things in life. They're instructing them in the way that they ought to live. And so every um, child is hearing sermons from their parents. They're hearing sermons from social media. They're hearing sermons from the movies that they watch, the classes that they attend. They're hearing sermons. And so for a parent who's telling a certain thing uh, to a child and not living it out before them, that is a, a, a mixed message for a child to hear. So it's not just enough to say, do as I say, it's, it's that you want to have an example that they can follow your example as they live out because they are watching, they are looking at the way that you live. And it's so important for you as a parent to come alongside and say, you know what, I want to lead by example because I have this opportunity. You're in the house with me all the time. You're seeing me. And so even if uh, for so many parents who have been taught by the church as a whole, hey, drop your kids off at church and the trained professional will fix them. Drop your kid off every so often that you can and we'll talk to them about issues of faith since you're either not prepared or not willing or you feel like that they're not going to listen. What we've been telling them is leave this to the professional. And I'm saying that you are the role models that your child so desperately needs. And even if you have the best role model in a youth pastor, the best role model in a small group leader for a child, whatever it is, it's difficult for an hour-long service to combat a week-long environment. So if you think about all the effort that can be put into the most perfect hour that your child could be a part of a church service or a church group, and you think about how pivotal that is, let me just tell you, it's limited, and it's difficult for an hour-long service to combat a week-long environment. For your child to survive in this culture and to grow in Christ's likeness, they require more than just that single hour. Let's look at the progression that we see in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. This section of scripture that was in Hebrew is called Shema because of it, the first word in it that says, Hear, uh, listen up. And, and this is what, uh, as these guys are getting ready to enter into the promised land, Moses speaks uh, as the voice of God here to these people and looks at them and says, Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates." 
And so when you look at this passage of Scripture, uh, Moses is really speaking about how important it is for parents to live and teach their children by example, showing that he, when he says, the, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you need to love this Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, is teaching us that the unrivaled God deserves an unrivaled devotion. So God, if, there, if he's only one, that there is no other, then he deserves a complete love. He doesn't say love the Lord your God with some of your heart or part of your soul or a portion of your might. He says love him with everything you have. Why is that important? Because there's only one God. And anything that tries to rival him needs to be removed from your heart, removed from your house. And so then he says in verse 6, these words that I command you today shall be on your heart and you're going to teach them. It's saying, look, the words that God is giving, these are going to turn into what's called God's word or the Bible. So for us, as we apply this, it means that God's word must be the essential guide for every aspect of our lives. As a parent, are you teaching your child that the the greatest textbook that they will ever pick up is the word of God, as it teaches us not only information, but life and principles and wisdom about how it applies on how we are to live for God and follow God. And so verse 7, as you think through this, like, so what is going to be the plan? If, if, if Moses, you're telling us that God is leading us now to the promised land and that there is no other God and that we should follow his words as we love him, well, what's the plan? I would think that the next thing he would say is, well, let's gather up a huge seminary to train out a bunch of other ministers or pastors to go out there. Or let, let's create some type of work that can institution that will really educate everybody that needs to be educated in our society now so that they can be a bunch of God fears among us. That's not what he says. Verse 7 says, well, you shall teach them diligently to your children. So he's saying, look, um, that parents must take diligent responsibility for the spiritual formation of their children. He doesn't farm that out to anybody else. He doesn't say it's Moses's job. It's not the Levite's job. It's not the professional's job. It's not those that have been educated their job. It's the parent's job. It's the guys who are construction workers and the guys who are farmers. It's their job to teach their children the ways of the Lord. And where does that come from? Well, first off, it came from a personal love that those parents had for the Lord that their that God's word was on their hearts and they're just passing that on to their children and then he says, well, how do you do it? Well, let me tell you something. He doesn't say that you have to have an hour-long worship service every day or a 30-minute Bible study every day or even a 15-minute deep theological discourse over dinner. He doesn't say that. Now, all those things are great, and I'm not saying they're not bad, but this is how he says you're going to do this. This is how you teach it diligently to your children, verse 7. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. And so do you, you get what he's saying? Look, we must view discipleship as a process rather than a program. These are just average, normal, mundane tasks, right? Uh, when you are sitting down in your house and you go check, well, I, I do sit down in my house. When you're walking by the way, okay, well, we, we do walk in some areas or, or driving by the way, right? They're, at least they're a contained audience then when you talk to them. They can't jump out of a move, moving vehicle. Uh, when you lie down, we, we do that at night, put them down. And when you rise and you get up in the morning, he said, look, talk about the Lord through those times. And then verse 8, he says, you're going to buy them as a sign on your hand. They should be as frontless between your eyes. What does that mean? Well, back in those days, they said, look, some of those guys would actually put scripture verses on their head or on their hand as a visual representation of God's word in their lives. And then verse 9 says, you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. And what's so interesting is that God's word was affecting the parent. Then he moved it to the child and then it eventually went out into the community on the gates of their house. So it's, it's spilling over 
from the parent to the child, spilling over from the home now into the community. So we have to, as families, allow God's Word to permeate our lives, to fill our homes, and to invade our communities. What we often do is reverse that. We want the community to change, to affect our children and our home, and therefore it will change us. But God's Word says do the exact opposite. Start with God's Word permeating your life. It goes over into your children and fills your house, and then it invades your community. And God's Word is teaching us, hey, all of the the ways that the culture will rise and fall come down to how our parents teaching their own children and not expecting anybody else to do the job that God has called them to do. So what is the plan? What are some things that you can do? Well, let me help you do something really quick. Um, I want us to fight against some common concerns because a lot of times when I talk to parents about you need to be that role model that your child desperately needs. You need to be the one uh, where you fill your life up with lots of great role models, but you be the the priority one. Here's some of the the common concerns that I get. Number one, uh, a lot of people say, what if I don't present the information correctly? If you're to teach your children the word, you might say, hey, I I may mess them up. I may say something and get them even more confused. Well, let me tell you something. Don't be afraid to say, I don't know. I think that is one of the best answers you can possibly give them. If they ask you a question that you don't know, be honest about it. Don't lie to them. Don't make something up that could confuse them at that point or even later. Be Don't be afraid to say, look, I don't know. In fact, sometimes my children will ask me a question and say, I've never even thought about that. But here's what you do. Be committed enough to say, I'll find out. Even though I don't have an answer to that question, I'll do some research. Even when you go to bed tonight, I'm going to do some research. I'm going to uh, look up some things in my Bible. I'm going to Google something. I'm going to talk with pastor uh, about this, but I'll, I'll find out for you. And what's happening is you're allowing this to encourage your own spiritual growth. Second Timothy 2.15 says for us to do, uh, it says do your best to present yourself as a workman who has no need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. That's great because it doesn't say do your pastor's best or do the seminary professor's best or do the theologian's best. It says do your best, parent. You do your best with the faculties that you have to be able to learn God's word and you pass that on. So for some parents who are afraid they not may not present the information correctly, some would say, wouldn't a trained professional be more trustworthy, right? Like, hey, we've got these people who've got seminary degrees and experience, and they know the word better than I do. So let me just let them do that. Let the professional do it. Well, listen, a pastor might know the material better, but he will not know your child better. Uh, hopefully, the pastors at your church really do know God's word, and they do have experience. But what they don't know is they don't know your child as well as you do. And so you have some ways that you realize that even if you have more than one child in the house, is that they each learn differently. They're each coming uh, at the question from a different angle. In the same ways that some methods of discipline has worked on one child and not worked on another, every child in your family is different, and you know them better than anybody. And so just allowing someone who may have more education than you in theological matters does not mean that they could teach it better to your child than you can, because you know your child. And as the parent, you should be the most constant figure in your child's life. You know, honestly, in so many churches today, there's such a revolving door of ministers. In some denominations, that the uh, average tenure of a pastor can be less than two years at a place before he gets frustrated or the church gets frustrated with him, and here comes another one. And, and I've known some people who have had six youth pastors in five years. I did say that correctly. I, I know someone who's had six youth pastors in five years. And so it's a revolving door of these spiritual mentors. And, and while that's sad and tragic, 
music. Even if they leave on good terms, God has called them to the mission field. Or, or maybe that your child has moved on from high school and now they're in a different city in college. The reality is this, is that their pastoral mentors are going to change throughout their lifetime. And they might lock arms and have someone who they're, they're close to for a while. But reality is that even if those positions change, you should be the most constant figure in your child's life. So even if they're trained professionals who might be more trustworthy with the content, you're going to be more consistent with the individual. And so your involvement will endure even when other role models change. As you continue to pour into them, you, you see how that God is using you in their life over time. And so the, the final major question that I get a lot of times is, well, what if I turn them off to Christianity? What if what if I preach too much? What if I teach too much? What if I get on their nerves? Here's what I realize. Um, I believe that children aren't turned off to Christianity if their parents are devoted disciples, but if they are fake followers. And what I mean by that is I, I've never heard a child come to me or a teenager or a estranged uh, adult from the church, right, that has come along and said this, uh, you know what, my parents just loved Jesus so much and loved each other so much and loved us so much. They were so compassionate, so gracious, so wonderfully um, prayerful over us and serving us, and they, they just had a life full of integrity, and they gave to others, and they were just always wanting to, to do things and serve. They got on my nerves so much, I just couldn't stand it. I've never heard that. Never once have I heard that. You know what I've heard a lot is that my parents made me go to church and they talked one way in front of other people. But when we got home, it was a completely different story. And they believed that their parents were hypocritical and they weren't honestly genuine followers of Jesus. So I don't think you're going to turn them off to Christianity if you're actually following Jesus. I think having some kind of fake form of Christianity can do that. So let your love for Jesus be contagious. Just let them see that you actually absolutely love Jesus, that you're growing, you're not perfect, but you're following the perfect one, and that can be contagious in their lives. Your job as a parent is to point to a relationship of grace rather than a religion of works. You're not saying, follow my ethical morality and, and my clean record here, and, and you, you'll be okay. You're saying, hey, mom and dad don't always get it, but we are following Jesus who does get it, and he is the way to salvation. And so for you, you might have common concerns, but I'm here to say this. Every day is precious with your children. And if you're always waiting for someone else to pour into them, you may be missing out on the opportunities that God is giving you right here and right now. I realize there's a lot of great role models that your um, children can benefit from in their lifetime. But I promise you this, you are the role model that your child desperately needs. Not a perfect parent, but a parent who's following a perfect king. And so if you want to see your child start growing spiritually, I would pray that you would start getting intentional with how you could teach um, and show them the ways to follow Jesus. I hope to see you on the second model.